0: Asia Tech Podcast. Podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. And we're live, Esports Asia TV, back with me, Andy, and welcome back. Sabir, it's really nice to have you again. <laughs> Thanks, man. And today we have our guest, Michael Patent. Is that how I pronounce that? That's, that's good enough. All right. <laughs> so, Michael, um, I'll just let you talk, man, because I, I think you love to talk, so that's really good for us. And so... If, if you let me talk, there's nobody's
1: going to listen. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. no. Let, let me make this clear. So, you are uh, with Culture Group. You're the founder, am I correct? I am. All right. So, last I checked. <laughs> Culture Group is uh, the one responsible, well, I wouldn't say responsible, but they are definitely involved in the Nike deal with uh, Riot Games, League of Legends. And so, of course, we're going to talk about that. Uh, but let's just first talk about you, Michael. Sure. I want to know about you more like let's just share like how did you you know uh, how were you brought up like what did you get yourself into when getting into the professional life and how did you end up here? Right Absolutely,
2: now. I'm gonna right. I'm gonna filter some of this. Right, like, <laughs> sure. there may be there may be a hit on your on your web stream from, okay. like, from Palm Beach, Florida, <laughs> where I have I think my mom is, right. is down there. It's awesome. Shout, so out, to retired. That's Shout out to mom. Shout out to mom for boosting the demographic. Yes, yeah, please. You know, All right, um, got to check that. that box. <laughs> um, I am from Scarsdale, New York, which is just outside of New York, New York. And, um. uh, grew up in Westchester County and and worked in sports and entertainment, um, for the better part of the last 15 years. And I really, I got into sports and entertainment as a, as a kid going to Madison square garden with Mm -hmm. my father. Um, so we would go exactly. And we would go and watch Knicks games. And I remember being seven, eight, nine years old, and we would go on Saturdays and we would watch the Indiana Pacers versus Mm -hmm. the Knicks, which in in my time was a big rivalry. Right. Right. Yeah. And I can tell you the Advertisers that I saw at that venue. I could tell you, you know, it was Domino's Pizza that was being served, <laughs> right. it was Coca Cola, it was Budweiser, it was Reese Restaurants, it was Bausch and Lomb, I think Panasonic.
0: <sighs> Damn. Um, Damn.
2: And I, I remembered that experience yes mm. there was a game going on but there was this entire but the surrounding other... you were kind of
0: taking everything in that's correct
2: and oh, then wow. i went to uh, i went to university in upstate new york in this very cold city called uh syracuse, syracuse. um very famous for basketball yeah. and and i went there primarily because my my sister was a student there okay and fell in love with the campus, and I applied, and they let me in, and um, first mistake that, that they made. <laughs> and then um, on campus, they have this very robust basketball culture. 30,000 yeah. people would show up to watch a game, and I, I really got excited a, again and reinvigorated right. by what I was experiencing as a student and made a decision to, to go into the sports and entertainment industry. Right, right. Um, and worked in that capacity in New York and to a certain extent elsewhere in the U.S., a little bit in Los Angeles, um, for the better part of... of eight or nine years, and was working for a company based in LA called AEG, which is Anschutz Mm -hmm. Entertainment Group. Right. Um, So they own and operate the Staples Center in Los Angeles and Mercedes-Benz Arena in Shanghai. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They've got this global sports and entertainment business. Right. And uh, they gave me an opportunity to move to China, which is where I ended up in 2013, and and led me on the journey to starting Culture Group, which we'll talk about shortly.
1: All right. (laughs) That's amazing. I think, you know, something that you really like highlighted there is the fact that it's just... So overpowering, right? When you walk into an NBA, you know, arena and you just see all the sponsors, all the food, all the ads. It's just, you know, it's a beast. And I didn't realize it until I first went because, you know, when you're watching it through the TV, it's it's different, right? You're you're watching placed ads they want you to see and stuff. But then when you're there, damn, it is. And, and the thing that I love about you know culture, right? And to us, culture is
2: it's sport, it's music, mm-hmm. it's esports and gaming, it's K-pop and K-drama, is <laughs> each person who is a fan of, of culture in any capacity is going to remember their first cultural experience. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, you remember your first TV show or your mm-hmm. first meal or your first movie, mm. but if i ask you the first sporting event you went to? right? Or yeah. Or yeah. the first esports competition that you oh, saw live definitely. or the definitely. first esports athlete that you met in person that you talked? <laughs> yes. You, um Damn. you would you would remember that. And those memories are what formed the foundation of all this passion. Wow. But ultimately we're helping brands to connect with and helping consumers yeah. to engage in. And and wow. that's what you guys are doing a great job of ultimately discussing week after week.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I, I gotta ask this question this mm, person. Let's go. So who's uh who's your favorite, I don't know, athlete or star that you've met?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't have a
1: favorite. You don't have you a know? Favorite. no. I, I love them all. They're who all great. The most, yeah. who, who made an impression? A good one. <laughs>
2: it's, to me it's um it's not necessarily about the, the talent or the athlete. It's you know, it's about the people around them or the, the people who are representing them. And yeah. that's who I might engage with a little bit more. Uh, but you can really tell people's true colors. And, and what I love about the work that we've been doing very specifically for the last three years in esports and gaming is there's an authenticity mm-hmm. that is very difficult to find in sure. other areas of culture. Do you think that's because esports is pretty young? I think it's because it's young. And I also just think, you know, when you look at the personalities mm. of, of people who are leading businesses in in the realm of, of gaming and mm-hmm. to a certain extent, eSports, um, you're looking at people who are doing this because it's core to what they mm. do. Mm. And we're not talking about cities like New York, LA and yeah. London. We're looking at other cities around the world. So the personalities, the psychographic profile is different. Yeah. And it's amazing to be with people who are doing mm. what they love. And that I think has been a great aspect of how we as a business have grown into this space in the last couple of years. And then more importantly, been able to build a team of people mm-hmm. who feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. We're doing something that they absolutely love, that they could do with their eyes closed.
0: Mm-hmm. But now, with the professionalization of esports, we're going to see a lot of brands, and we've already been seeing it in the past year or so, right? And, and a lot more brands are going to be interested in getting into esports as an outsider. Of some sorts, right? And so would you be worried if those brands are gonna get their hands on esports and, you know, uh change the culture in a way that you have been experiencing in the past three years?
2: Yeah, I I, I would say, you know, we have to be really sensitive to the Mm. fact that these are communities. Mm. And when we look at traditional sport or entertainment, right? So I I come from North America, from the U S and we've got a 60 to 70 year history of organized sport Mm. and there's four professional leagues in the U S and you've got four distinct seasons in most cities and there's infrastructure and stadiums and arenas around that media networks. There is a history of organized sport on a professional level. When we talk about, Esports and gaming, you don't have a 60 to 70 year history Mm -hmm. and the lines of who owns the rights, um, which parties are involved and engaged, who owns what, who operates what, and how do you engage throughout that ecosystem of teams and players and content and events doesn't exist. And Mm -hmm. I think the dangerous part is that brands want to
1: Take control of that. They want to take
2: control of that. And they also look at the people that want to simplify things. And they're going to say, we want an an esports strategy, which is like saying that you want a strategy for football. Mm -hmm. And your strategy for football can't be that you're going to approach every team the same or the fan base of every Mm. team the same. And a brand coming in saying we want an esports strategy and what worked for us in Mobile Legends in in Jakarta is going to mm-hmm. work for us on ROV in Bangkok gonna obviously happen. is not going to happen. And, and that's what I think we as an agency have been able to do is really help right. to um, kind of translate the need of the brand mm-hmm. and the sensitivity of the local culture right. and helping them come together. I mean to right
1: that. there, right, that, that the fact that you can even identify that is already showing how you're miles ahead of most of the brands that are trying to get into the space. Yeah, definitely. Because because that's the, that's the
0: problem, right? Like everything is happening so fast. Like even just in Southeast Asia alone, if we're not talking about the global presence of esports, not even Asia in general, but Southeast Asia specifically, mm-hmm. each country is like on their own pace, and everybody's gearing towards this one big event uh, in November in the Philippines, which mm-hmm. is Sea Games, right? And and like you like you mentioned, everyone is like trying to get into it, but they 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 don't necessarily know how to approach it. And that's a great thing about eSports, I think, because we're still learning together. And so we can't we can't really you know tell whether someone is in it because they know what's going on. But at the same time we also know that they're here together with us because we are also trying to figure it out along the way. Mm. Is that how you feel culture is has been approaching esports? Absolutely. And
2: uh shout out to zlapped in Zla- <laughs> uh, in, in Bangkok. If you guys know Zlapt, yeah. pontus Pontus Mahler. Um Pontus has been working with us and doing a great job in mm-hmm. Bangkok. We've got a team in, in the Philippines of five or six people dedicated to esports and gaming, you know, Ben's Domatio and Jaime Cruz and a few others and um, we rely on them, right? We rely on local insights from our local staff mm. or in the culture who live it, who breathe yeah. it. And, you know, for us as an agency to come in and counsel brands and to not look at things on a local level mm. is impossible. It would be like Coca-Cola having a general strategy for Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't work, right? Yeah. We're talking about really distinct and unique communities and cultures. Um, the only thing that this reminds me of the speed and the energy around mm-hmm. esports right now is some of the work that I, I had done in China, you know, in the last five or six years where there's just a real pace and a yep. speed to the way that things move. And earlier in my career, I did a fair amount of work around music and music festivals. And in like 2010 to 2012, there mm-hmm. was a lot of money, a lot of interest around electronic music and things were moving oh, quickly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. ultimately that was much to that space's demise. Yeah. Um, I think that what's taking place in, in our culture around esports and gaming right now is fantastic, mm-hmm. but we all have to be careful to to do the right job at the right time, working with the right people, so that we don't have any negative connotation right. or a negative impression in the marketplace. A failed event has a long lasting oh, uh, yeah. reputation. right? Yeah.
0: And it's actually happened, right? A few events have failed miserably and it's actually kind of paint an image mm-hmm. on the brand itself. Like one example is actually one of the biggest esports titles nowadays, Fortnite. Uh, if you remember, there's one event by Fortnite that's really not in a good place mm. right now, right? And so, but, but still, Fortnite is still up there, at least top three, even with the Rise of Apex Legends and everything. Fortnite is still there. So what do you think is the factor that's differentiating them from another title who might have failed an event and just slumped down?
2: Yeah, be- before even getting into the event mm. space, and sure? I appreciate the question. the The success of Fortnite, as a title, yeah, and the speed with which that happened is unlike anything that it's I've powerful. experienced. Forget, it's crazy. forget in esports and gaming. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. in the gaming world, it's fast. But if you just look at pop culture in general, oh. right. Yeah. And let's let's use a music example. Let's look at Cardi B, an artist who hmm. was so new that she didn't have an album. She had twenty five singles, and she's, yeah. she's absolutely killing it globally right now. She she came on pretty quickly, but that's still a rise of six, seven, eight months. If yep. you look at Justin Bieber. 2011 that's 2012 yeah. you know he came on you know fairly quickly but that's yep. still six nine months yep. Fortnite was literally almost overnight and, yeah. and now if we look at apex two months ago yep it's remarkable the speed with which the games are coming to market and i'm excited to see if if they'll stay mm-hmm. right and, and um if you can get that ingrained into culture where mm. The dances are, are part of everyday life, and my five year old nephew, who's never played, played Fortnite, <laughs> yeah. is is flossing. Um, I think that's great. I want to see if that can that can stay. And then right. the hard part for all of us is figuring out how brands yes. can engage in that and yes. help that
0: community. Yes, true. So yeah, uh, again, Fortnite has been rising meteorically. And back to the question, I guess, like one event failed, but it's still there. Whereas other titles might not survive that kind of a failure, right? So. Is that because Fortnite was already so big that they have that room to you know move around and you know fail a bit and just experiment on top of those failed events?
2: Yeah, it's. You know there's a cultural relevance to that title that's Mm going to give it some staying power yep um and it is so ingrained right now in pop culture that people want to see it be successful um also there's a belief with that type of game that anybody who's participating has a chance to win or a chance to compete and you can see yourself in one of those players i think that's a little bit harder when you look at you know a a moba and a five on five or an Mm. organized team or league Mm -hmm. structure that's Mm. been around for a while because there's greater delineation between you and the professional level,
0: Mm, right? Right, yeah, that's great. And I wanna jump back to a point you mentioned about this industry moving so fast and parallels with the music industry. So that's actually one of the questions I'm very worried about. Like money is pouring in so fast in the past few years, and I am kind of worried the money is gonna pour out eventually, right? So what's your perspective on this? Because we as esports enthusiasts, we certainly want esports to stay. Right. And I think personally, it's gonna stay because the support from different key stakeholders, like uh, the, the players themselves, the organizations, businesses, governments now, is gonna support esports enough so that it can stay, which I think is important. So that when the money eventually pours out, it's still gonna stay, but we just have to build it again and again. Right. right. So what's your take on this? Like the money
2: I think I think it's scary you know Mm -mm. and I think it's scary for you know if we look at whether it's and I know that you were a trader earlier in your career Mm. and we're in Singapore which is built on I know the value of great real estate and location if we look at other economic factors right when money pours into something there's the concept of a bubble that you create and I don't think that we're at that place in esports and gaming we're just in a position where everybody wants what's new and what's next this is what's hot and it's where the money's coming and and i think it's important for everybody involved if you look at the value chain from developer to publisher you know event owner team player everybody has to make good decisions mm-hmm. everybody has to make decisions about their community their profession and their future and that goes for us right so we and you know, AJ Joka, who's our, our head of strategy and planning, who's in Japan today, we've had a lot of decisions that we've had to make around how we work with clients and only working with them on a long-term mm. basis because there's too much that people want short-term. Yeah. We can't meet their expectations. Right. And I think when we look at the way that players are engaging with brands and endorsements, sometimes saying no is the best deal that you do. Mm. When we look at the event structures, you know, a failed event is a two-week headache for the fan who was going to it. It's a twelve-month headache for anybody yeah. who's engaged in trying yes. to organize that next event. A bad stream, um, you know, bad bad web stream, bad production mm. hurts everybody down the line. So right. it's incumbent upon all of us because mm. the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah, right.
1: I think it's it g- goes back to you know what you just said <clears throat> about it being short term. I think that's a f- like a key theme that we can't really shake off in this industry because, like you said, you know um games could be short term they couldn't you know some games lack uh survivability because yep. they don't have pre-existing leagues or they don't have the kind of like uh virality or support behind it and then you see quick short term successes like Apex Legends or you know a new kid on the block so how how are you meant to plan for that as you know a sponsor or a brand if you don't know what the next big thing's going to be you know you pour all this money into this game or that game and then bam 3 4 months later it's either declining or there's a new game on the rise like how what kind of like i don't know how do you how do you even try yeah. to comprehend that risk the the first You're thing that say.
2: i would say is that while there's a lot of energy and money and excitement around the space right now, um, gaming and esports are here to stay for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And they were here long before folks like myself got involved Mm -hmm. and long before brands like Nike or others got involved. And when we look at Southeast Asia and we look at the psychographic profile of people who are playing games who may not be able to express themselves outwardly Mm -hmm. like you can in North America or Europe. When we look at the weather and we're in a tropical environment, we don't have four seasons a year and four seasons of organized sport. And we look at, the leapfrogging behavior of people engaging in mobile use Mm -hmm. before they engage in PC use. This culture is here to stay. This is the future of sport, right? The future of sport is digital, whether you're watching an EPL match, and AJ's watching, you know, Manchester United on his Mm -hmm. mobile phone, or you're engaging in a game, or you're watching somebody play a game. So that's not going to change. And Mm -hmm. anybody who (laughs) says that it will, you know, we'd love to have a chat with them. All right. (laughs) What, What I would say about your question, which is great about titles, mm. that's a big bet on a title. And it's a big bet on a, on a subculture or a community. And what we have tried to do as a company is, you know, we're not called uh, League of Legends Group. We're not mm. Apex Legends Group. We're not called <laughs> Justin Bieber Group. Right. Um, we We called ourselves Culture Group because we wanted to take brands to a place where they focused on underlying culture. Mm. And the reason is, you know, everybody has a a social media strategy, they'll have a music strategy, they'll have a content strategy. We're gonna ask them, what's your strategy for culture? And we get a blank look and they say, what do you mean? And we we talk to them about the culture of music, the culture of esports Mm -hmm. or the culture of a certain game. And if an advertiser or a brand or any other entity has an underlying dedication to the culture of gaming and esports, That should be continuous, and that bead will be continuous. You may come in and out of the space with bets or propositions relative to certain titles or games or Mm -hmm. communities or teams, but the underlying dedication to the space is consistent, and that ultimately is what I think is needed to win the hearts and minds of 16-year-old kids who might be in the target audience. Mm
0: All right, so I think damn, we, I'm sold. Okay, culturally. I know, right? No, no, no. <laughs> we just gonna jump into that right now. So, yeah. okay, let's jump into the Nike deal, All right? So I know there's few restrictions, but that's fine. Uh, what we're interested in is just the narrative, uh, the thought process of Nike getting into esports and uh, League of Legends, and uh, more specifically, uh, can you share with us the thought process behind why Nike chose that game?
1: Or uh, just to take a yeah. step back as well, you know, you mentioned that you'd moved to China. What, what, you know, made you jump into not just the world of esports, but to start Culture Group? Yeah, right. Like, how did that start? Mm. Could I answer that first? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: that
2: first. Um, So I I was working for AEG in in North America, in the U.S., and Mm -hmm. um, I'd done a little bit of work with the guys in the China office. They were building arenas around China and they were promoting live events, concerts and sports events. And um, they said, there's an opening there. Mm. And would you like to go? And I I thought about it. And at the time, I think that the CMO of Anheuser-Busch Budweiser brand, right? Right. Yep. Um, had moved from China to New York. And my boss, Todd Goldstein, who was the chief revenue officer, said, Michael, the best marketers, guys who we work with, are moving back from China to the US. And obviously, there's a lot of talent, amazing marketers there. You should go and, and work with them. And that was in 2012 and I've I've been here since, and I haven't necessarily found all of those great markets, what I did find was an environment of brands who had Mm. a great thirst for culture, like Mm -hmm. we were just talking about, but there's such a gap between the thirst that they have for culture, the desire, and the ability to access Mm. it. And we didn't see a lot of agencies. There's amazing agencies in the marketplace, but we didn't see agencies that were dedicated to this space. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see brands that had that knowledge. So if you've got a 47-year-old marketing director, and the target audience is a 16-year-old girl, Yeah, um, we need somebody to translate the needs of a K-pop fan yep. to, to that K-pop. marketing director yeah. or a 16-year-old boy and talking about esports and gaming. So, um, you know, working with, uh, with my partner, Doug Scott, who's based in, in New York, who I've known for a number of years, we, we built this agency, and, and AJ's come along as head of strategy and planning and played a very, very big role in what we do in China with mm-hmm. his understanding of youth of mm-hmm. culture and that market. Um, that's why we built the agency. Ultimately, it led us over to, um, to the great team at, at Riot in China, mm-hmm. um, Phil So and Jay Wu, um, our, our partners and, and clients, and we think the world of, of Riot as a company, mm-hmm. and of those guys as, as executives, and we really um, collectively had a vision for, if you look at the LPL, um, it has all of the hallmarks of organized sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got teams. You've got underdogs, you've got icons, you've got heroes, um, you've got losing streaks and winning streaks, yeah. and you have people competing at the highest levels competitively within their field.
1: And an insanely dedicated fan base, right? The it's Chinese crazy. fans yeah. are crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: It's crazy. Um, and when you look at these fan bases that are kind of local in nature, you know, to each of the cities in China, we, we all realized there was something really special there. Mm. And we felt that the next generation of fan in China wasn't gonna be an NBA fan. It was gonna mm. be a fan of an yeah. LPL team, right? And there was amazing viewership. And we wanted to marry that with, with a brand that had a vision for supporting that culture, mm. recognizing the value of, of every athlete. And that if you have a body, you are an athlete. And ultimately supporting that community and those teams and fans mm. and creating amazing product that mm. one day will, will be on the backs of, of fans. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I went to an event in Guangzhou and a young woman was a fan of, of WE, right? And, and she had a Black hooded sweatshirt, and there was a red tag on it, and it had the name of her favorite player, and it was cool. Like kind of, it was, like cool, yeah. was streetwear, you know. It was cool. Yeah. Um, she bought it on Taobao, you know, and it was made. In, it was made in a basement somewhere. And there, yeah. there's obviously a better way, and we're, we couldn't be more excited about Nike's entry into the space and their yeah. commitment to the LPL.
1: Mm. That's so cool. I mean, when I when I saw the news and I saw Uzi there as well as one of the uh, he, he was one of the ambassadors, right? So yeah, Nike has a, a relationship. We weren't yeah. we're not involved in that, right. but Nike Nike does have a relationship That's... with with some of the
2: players. And um, look, they, the, you know, anytime that you can work with best in class, truly best in class companies, yeah. um, it's an amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and if you look at the history of what Nike's done in other sports, there's no oh, doubt that definitely. their entry yeah. into esports will be a massive success. Yeah, it's, g- it's
0: just going to add on to the momentum that we already have, right? So Nike, again, one of the biggest brands and and, and just that name alone, like if I mention Nike to someone who doesn't yeah. necessarily know about esports, they're gonna be questioning like, "What's Nike doing there?" Right, and so that's the same question that we've been asking. To be honest, like uh, obviously uh, we have the answer of uh, uh, getting connected with the younger audience, right? Uh, I'm I'm wondering if you can answer this question, but from a business perspective, is it gonna make sense for them or other brands who are? Looking into getting into esports?
2: I don't think that in today's corporate environment, brands can make those decisions at that yeah. level if it doesn't make financial sense. Oh,
1: absolutely.
2: And what we tell, and this is getting a little technical, but what we always tell our clients is it's not just return on investment, mm-hmm. which is a financial metric of yeah, looking mm-hmm. at how many dollars can I make, it's return on objective. What mm. is your objective as a brand? Yeah. If you're looking to reposition yourself, if you're looking to be more relevant among your mm. audience, if you're looking to shape culture, that's an objective that has to be measured. Yep. Uh, but I don't think that that the best brands globally are making commitments into this space because oh, no. it's cool or hot. I I think that this is they recognize this is the yeah. future. Yeah.
0: Smart money, right?
1: Correct. Mm. Correct. It's no, really cool. I mean it just it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, this is. You know, it's it's esports and if Nike is here, you know, with a foot in. Yeah. I mean for the next decade or so I think this is it's gonna still be, the way to be go. here. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like esports players having their own like signature jerseys or like yep. shoes or you know, it's it's nuts, but it's gotta start somewhere. Yes. You know? And it started back in the day with the NBA, the NFL for them. So now I can start here as yes. well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you look at um
2: if you look at the history of NBA culture, for mm. example, you mm. know um, the players are wearing the the clothing that the leagues wanted them to wear and what they were required to wear. Now they've developed their own sense of fashion. A lot of them mm. have their own lines, right? Yes. The concept of the Jordan <clears throat> brand is is yes. the Jordan line. A lot of them now have their own you know, higher fashion or or lifestyle lines outside of traditional sports. Yeah. If you look at media and culture, this concept of a creator or an influencer, mm. Didn't exist 15 years nope. ago, no. and we're sitting in, in the heart of that right here in yes. Southeast Asia. When we look at how much consumption there is and how popular some of these creators are,
1: yeah. yep, A- absolutely. You know, it's it's like for an NBA player to go and get your own like shoe line with with Nike or Adidas or you know Puma that was huge. huge. And then the next step is kind of like you know where it's your your name isn't just synonymous with the brand it. It is, it is like the it, brand. It overarks Correct. it. Right? You know, when someone thinks of Jordans, they say Jordans. They don't Jordan. say Nike yeah. Air Jordans. Exactly. They say Jordans. Yeah. But if we look at it on an esports perspective, these guys on Twitch are selling their merch already. Mm. You know, their name is their brand and people are buying this up and buying yep. this up. So <laughs> what's the next level if they're already at mm. the level where, you know, I mean, like, Again, another example, Lewis Hamilton. Um, He was a bit late to like the testing because he was launching his own brand with Tommy Hilfiger, you know, for like two weeks. And again, that's the next step. So where do the esports guys go? I
2: I think you're gonna see a replication of that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at, for example, you know, the success of of the Fenty line um, with with Rihanna and the power that she brought to that, if you look at the success of what some of the Kardashians have done, yes, we're talking general media, but, in each of the different sectors of media and sport and entertainment, you're looking at people who have taken control of their brand. Mm. And I think that the you know, highest level of engagement, you know, that we will find in esports, right? That, that those creators, influencers, or players at that level are going to take control and they're going to say, you know what, I've got something, I've got a mm-hmm. story I want to tell. Uh, that's going to come out through a creative execution in my clothing line mm-hmm. or in my merchandise line, and they're going to start to take control of their audience. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. 100 um, Thieves, great example. Absolutely. Um, and if you look at the money that they're attracting from an investment perspective, they're getting money from artist managers, mm-hmm. um, established sports and entertainment professionals. Yeah. And those guys are much more of a culture brand than a competition brand. Absolutely. Yep.
0: All right, Absolutely. so let's talk about culture then. I mean, culture group we've talked about, but let's talk about this Southeast Asian culture. Cause now we've covered what brands are looking for. They're looking to connect with the younger audience, right? So now let's talk about the other side. What are these younger generations looking for in a sense of culture, because obviously you've been around Southeast Asia a lot. You've been flying back and forth. You're you're flying today. I am right. <laughs> so, where where are you flying? I'm going to Bangkok. Tonight. Bangkok. So, yeah. which countries have you actually covered in Southeast Asia? Um, we have
2: an office in Bangkok. Okay. We're a Singaporean company. Okay. And we have an extensive office in the Philippines. Philippines. Um, we also have been traveling to Malaysia. It's a market that's very exciting. It's not the okay. biggest market in Southeast Asia, but the engagement that we mm, see there is really definitely. exciting. Yes. And uh, we've got a, a great local partner we've been working right. with. What about Indonesia? I haven't spent a lot of time in Indonesia okay. that's next. All right. Um we're going to we're going to tackle that one okay. once once we get Thailand. Um, <laughs> right. you know to, a, to a little out. bit okay. of a more advanced place.
0: Okay. Yeah. So Thailand, Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia. What have you learned in the past few years that, you know, this engagement level is unprecedented when it comes to engagement in sports and now esports? Uh, what have you learned about these people, these young generations that's Really differentiating them from the previous generations when it comes to engagement to something they really like on a cultural level. What is it that's enabling this esports industry to grow so big that's coming from the perspective of the younger generation?
2: Right. Um, I, I think the first thing I've learned and, and uh, today's my birthday. So I, I'm realizing now that
0: happy birthday. <laughs> I'm
2: realizing that I get farther and farther away from the pulse of culture. But what I, I try to do is we surround ourselves with, with young people who are mm-hmm. in the scene, um, mm-hmm. who, are, who are sharp and they're smart and they can really kind of demystify what's going on. Right. um, each of these markets is totally different. And yeah. having a Southeast Asia strategy um, for us as a business doesn't work. We need a country by country mm-hmm. strategy, and really we're looking at the capital cities in each of those country. Um, and when we look at esports and gaming, we've got to look at the communities that are vibrant in each of those countries. And I think when we look at the engagement, we're looking at markets where there is an inherent distrust of media. Um, okay. There is a lack of infrastructure for other forms of entertainment mm. and sport. And we're finding kids who are able to really express themselves outwardly in a very different way through gaming and esports mm-hmm. than they would in real life. And you find these people, you, you find these these competitive gamers in every office. So, you know, the, the whether it's the woman from legal or the, the person from accounting, <laughs> yeah, who's kind of a lunch, true. you know, they're they're yeah. they're quiet during the day, but yeah. then they're kind of a lunchtime Oof. hero on mobile legends. <laughs> yes. You know, we, we love finding that. I mm. think what we um Well, one of the most interesting things that we found is just the strength of each community Mm -hmm. and the role that a game will play in developing a community um, and how that community then will respond to teams and and influencers and leagues and the difference of people within that that hardcore Mm -hmm. community of each of those titles. They have to be treated totally differently than than another title, Right. right? We can't treat... We can't treat the Dota 2 community the way that we treat the ROV community or, or explore them in the same way. And that's mm-hmm. the hardest part because it's, yes, great. They might all be men 18 to 24, but what makes them tick and more importantly, how to reach them is very different. It's very and different. That's, that's the hard yeah. part of yes. the job.
0: And, and one problem that's very inherent for marketers and advertisers is that there's this specific data I read online that 80% of engagers, uh, viewers of eSports use AdBlock. That's a problem, right?
2: I mean, who, who wants to watch an ad, right? Exactly, so,
0: but, but again, the businesses thrive through advertise, uh, advertising, right? But with this behavior from the younger generations, it's not enough to just rely on that anymore. And, and, and I think you are uh, definitely involved in this by uh, uh, educating the brands, you know, to, to make them realize that advertising is the old way, and now there's a new way. And so, maybe you can share with us, like sure. engaging engaging with this younger generations. What does it take for brands, uh, 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 beyond advertising?
2: One of the things that we look at, and, and uh, AJ does an amazing job of this, is what is the customer journey? Mm-hmm. What is the journey of that gamer or that esports athlete in that local market from the province? You know, from Ilo Ilo in the Philippines. What is the difficulty of that person? connecting, Mm. competing, creating, sharing, and looking at the journey and then trying to understand, okay, if we segment the market, um, using the qualitative and quantitative insights that we have, what's the journey of that person? And how can we improve their experience? Mm -hmm. If as a brand we can help to improve their experience, we're going to have a customer, if not for life, then for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And we, we have a firm belief as an agency that brands should shape culture not rent media. Right. Renting media meaning buying a, a spot. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Um and, and the era of advertising as as Doug would say is is over. Mm. Um and you know, we really think that experience is the future of everything. There's a reason that people are staying at Airbnb as opposed to hotels. Yep. Um we all want an experience. So yep. brands that are able to deliver an experience to a consumer that's authentic, that's memorable, that's delivered in the right way. And if they can do that on a on a repetitive basis. Mm. They can develop a really, really strong relationship yes. with that customer.
1: It's more, right. it's more basically, it's more about being innovative, right? And kind of pat, because we're still consumers. We still consume, you know, media, could potentially consume ads. It's just a matter of, you know, making it not. Yes something that we hate.
0: Yeah, like like Thai ads are so amazing. Yeah. I mean, you're based in Bangkok as well, right? And yeah. you know Thailand does a really great job. And
1: they have the reputation of doing it's it. It's such a everybody. creative market. Yeah. yeah. It's such
2: a creative market. I, I, love, I love Bangkok yes. as a city mm-hmm. and it's cosmopolitan. It's not nearly as local as you'd be led to believe. It's, mm. it's rather international right now. There's a great startup scene and mm-hmm. you've got domestic mm-hmm. brands who compete with one another. Two, three, four in each category, right. and what we really like about that market is you've got really sharp, smart, second, third, sometimes fourth generation owners looking wow. after brands, and Damn. they're looking to really diversify those brands. So right. it's not like China where the brands are all twenty to thirty years yeah, old, yeah. right? It, it's totally different. Um, you know, Huawei didn't exist forty years ago. Mm-hmm. Huawei exists in the last twenty five years. Mm. Singha beer has existed for the last 85 years. Um, Other domestic brands have been there 50, 60, 70 years. And they've got family owners who are coming back from Mm -hmm. overseas who are realizing, you know what? I have amazing brand equity and I have great reach and scale. Mm -hmm. I I can play a role Mm -hmm. in transforming the company. And what we like is we come in and say, you can and and we think you can shape culture, right? So if you look at the equity that you have in your brand and the way that you engage customers the average age of your customer, how can we pivot and move into e-sports, for example, and gaming and right. develop mm. a really significant proposition. Mm-hmm. And the creativity in Thailand's off the charts. Yes. Mm.
0: That's amazing to hear. Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> the food's pretty good
0: so. <laughs> I mean, we, we have it here as well and it's amazing, so. Absolutely. All right, which brands do you think are doing a great job in this? Yes, well, the next step would be to get more brands into this, of course. But uh, we kind of have to, I mean, I don't want to say filter, but we have to assess which brands are going to have the most potential mm. when it comes to getting into esports, right? Uh, when it comes to culture shaping as well. Which brands do you think has the potential to move in a way that uh, some other previous brands have done?
2: brands that have the potential yes generally are going to be the challenger brands mm. because they're willing and a challenger brand is somebody who's not number one in their category right and that's the person who can come in and do things differently mm-hmm. and who is going to give authenticity mm-hmm. to the, the gaming community that, that gamers desire and make them feel like they are authentic mm-hmm. i think those types of brands have an opportunity to come in and shape this culture and, and provide a lot of of services and benefits to a customer and, and really be uh, a legitimate force in that person's life as a gamer. Um, in terms of brands that are doing a great job right now, mm-hmm. locally, regionally, um, I think Alan Fong and, and the team at, you know, Air Asia are doing right. a nice job in, yeah. in being evangelists yes. for the space and, um, shout out to Alan, who I, I think the world of, and, <laughs> you know, he's just a lovely guy who, yes, gets yep. everybody excited about that space. Um, Globe Telecom in the Philippines, who is, yeah. is a client of Culture Group, has okay. done a great job. They've taken a very, very long-term approach and a very holistic approach mm-hmm. to, right. you know, titles and tournaments and teams and players right. and looking at um, how they can create Philippine heroes on mm-hmm. a national stage and their role as a corporate citizen. Um, Jake okay. San Diego, who's the head of, of gaming and esports there, really has a belief, and, and their CEO, Ernest Ku, have a belief that, Um, Filipinos can win medals, whether it's in the Southeast Asia games this fall or, or later on in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And and they're doing that and they're putting action to that by investing in the space.
0: Can we talk more about that? Like the Philippines? Sure. Uh, I mean, the space is crazy and 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 one of the most successful organizations from the Philippines is Mineski. And they've been heavily expanding around the region and, and doing so much stuff that I think is really helping out the esports scene, right? Uh, maybe we can talk more about your uh, specific uh, uh, dealings with, I mean, your, your, your work with uh, global telecoms, right? Yeah. Um, we
2: can, we can share a little bit, and, okay. you know, there's some stuff that's out in the public, you know, just touching on Maneski, Ronald's, a, an amazing force in the industry mm, yeah. and kind of amazing. the godfather of, of e-sports in, in the Philippines and really done a great job in expanding their business and somebody that I'm honored to work with and mm. that I learn a lot from mm. when we have a chance to speak. Um, globe has partnered with, with a number of organizations locally in the Philippines, Maneski being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team at globe, you know, when they engaged us a few years ago, um, really went back to purpose. What is their purpose as a brand? Um, what are they looking to accomplish? What's that customer journey? And, and we actually learned a lot from them about the role that they would play as a corporate citizen and in, in connecting people to their futures. Um, through that, this proposition was developed of, of creating Philippine heroes
0: mm-hmm. right. and,
2: and, uh, champions and putting them on a regional and, and global stage. And, um, through, you know, relationships with, uh, with Riot Games and Garena, around specific titles and through a, a partnership around a team that mm. they've launched, Team Liab, yep. um, which did pretty well over the weekend in, in the AOV in yeah. recent yep. weeks And their AOV team. It's also a League of Legends team and a Hearthstone team. And um, some plans they have for the future around um, other ways to engage the audience, whether mm. that's training centers, casting studios, things of that nature. Right. Um, it's hard to find brands Right? Brand marketers have to win every quarter and they got to keep their bosses happy. And it's hard yes. to find brands who take a long-term approach. And when yeah. you find one, you realize how special they are.
0: Yep, They are. And, and that's the thing about esports you, you can't really bet on the short term when it comes to financial returns. Right. But, but when it comes to equity in the term, uh, in the brand sense, people are going to start seeing you as that brand that's supporting the industry. And I think it's great that the Philippines is doing this. And just yesterday, Singapore got some news as well. Singtel have actually sponsored the national team for SEA Games and they've sponsored a number of teams here in Singapore like Team Resurgence. Yeah. And this nice. is the trend that we're seeing. Telecoms are really heavily invested Very heavy. in esports. Mm. Uh maybe you can explain to us like why do you think this is?
2: Sure. A, a telco is both a endemic and non endemic brand, and they're not an endemic brand in the sense that your, your headphones and your keyboard are made by the telco, but you need that company and their services to connect to your game, Yes, to connect to your server. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need Coca-Cola to play basketball, um, and I don't need a telco to play basketball. I need a telco to power my, my gaming experience. Yes. I need a telco to power my, my viewing or streaming experience. So there's a natural reason why they would want to engage in that space because it it fits. their their core business. Number two, the audience, right? If I'm if I'm consuming data today and I have a sim or a home broadband connection, I'm gonna be spending more in the future yep. as my income rises. And then from a, a third perspective It makes a lot of sense for telcos to be in the business of shaping culture, Mm -hmm. right, and and to be in the business of games and to be able to amplify um, behavior that's already taking place by by supporting those communities. And Mm -hmm. I think Singtel's done a great job and. We know the team there and think very highly of them and what i love is they haven't done it once they've done it multiple times multiple yeah, times yes. right and if you look at yesterday's announcement that's the f- that's the the second or second, third announcement third, yeah. yep. and there's a consistency to the way that they've gone mm-hmm. in the market and it's clear that they're a leader and they've galvanized the community and they they're bringing in outside partners it's not everything you know singtel on their own they're bringing in the right partners the right help and, um, borrowing the right, uh, equity from other partners to be able to create programs mm. that are going to matter. Yeah,
0: mm. Yep. So Singtel and Globe Telecom, they're doing a really great job in, in, in promoting esports and blasting it through to the younger audience. So let's talk about C games. Are you looking forward to Sea Games, or are you going to be there at Sea I, Games? I,
2: I will likely be there. Right, I'll it's, definitely be at the qualifiers. I'm looking forward okay. to seeing that. I, look, it's new to me. You know, it's mm. um, we're heavily involved in exploring opportunities on behalf of our clients around the region, and we hear you know what's in the media. Uh, but the excitement around esports and Sea Games yeah. is, has really thrown. It's very surprising to us the level right. to which we've seen that much. I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you guys how, how you've received the announcements.
0: Well, the first time I heard about it was I was sitting around uh, the TV room at home back in Indonesia. I was met with my dad and, and when I read that, you know, piece of news, esports is going to be featured in C Games, right? I told my dad. But curiously, he wasn't very dismissive of it. He was actually impressed. Right. And so I saw the change in mindset there that even now parents are not very against Mm. uh, gaming, whereas in the past, parents are very skeptical about gaming, like let alone esports as a career choice. Right. But when I told my dad about C games, he's actually impressed that we have managed to get esports as a recognized title. Right, so my experience has been totally
1: great. It's awesome, I think my experience is a little different. Right. Because I I wasn't as surprised. I mean, Mm. I think um, just based off the fact that it was the Southeast Asia games, right, like bringing in eSports just made so much sense. Mm. You you can double or triple your viewership for the event if you manage to bring in the gaming community across the different game titles that you choose. For me, the big big one where I I would kind of like... Shake my head and say, "Wow, is this happening? Is the Olympics right? Mm. Like, if it's there, then that's, and it, that's that a, will be happening." Yeah, that, that's that's a, that's that's gonna a statement. Do you think? I do because the IOC is kind of pushing back. Oh, it'll happen. It just depends which game title, right? Look, right.
2: I I personally think that um, there are a few Olympic sports that, right. that maybe may be ready <laughs> to be put out to pasture. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I think that if you if you look at the difficulty, well, there's there's the business reason, right? Yes. And that's you know I can I can speak to that side of it. I think if you look at the way that people engage in in viewing media and you look Mm -hmm. at audiences around the world, including esports in, in the Olympics as a metal sport will bring a totally different audience Mm -hmm. and new storylines. The difficulty is that's going to come at the expense of another sport and another sport that's been around for 30, 40, 50, 80 years and domestic organizations around the world in each country who've supported that sport. And there's only so many hours of Olympic programming. Right, and there's only so many national governing bodies that are funded. Mm. So there's a real uphill battle, I think, mm. politically right. in in trying to get esports included in the Olympics. But I think that you'd be very, I would be very surprised if you
1: didn't see you it. You didn't see it, yeah. Correct. Yeah. I th- BMX biking is an Olympic sport. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's some really crazy Olympic sports. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, we're, we're talking about sports versus esports, right? But now let's talk about esports in itself. Within esports, there are titles competing for that spot. And and what I'm worried is there's going to be too much of a political movement Mm. around, you know, these different games. Like, how do I get my game to be featured as an Olympic sport? Because obviously, like Riot, for example, if you get League of Legends as one of the Olympic sports, there's going to be establishing you to be one of the developers that successfully made esports into the mainstream culture.
2: And by the way, I, I would be a proponent of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, likewise. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on your side. Great. I'm a big We love the Riot guys yes. and, and uh, there's, a, you know, a title that's been around for 10 years is yes. doing something
0: right. Mm-hmm.
2: I think... The the, the, har- the hardest thing I said earlier of what we do as a company is getting brands to understand the culture and think a little bit longer yeah. term. Mm-hmm. The second hardest thing around esports and gaming is helping people who have never touched a joystick or mm. a keyboard, a mouse or a controller or put on headphones understand yeah. the difference between the titles yep. and how that infrastructure looks. There is no difference in, in football as my colleagues would say around the world, right? AJ corrects me a lot. Um, It's the same game around the world. Sometimes it's youth women's football. Sometimes it's professional football, same game. Um, Mm. It's incredibly difficult explaining to brands how the titles work, and then more importantly, the different formats and the categories. Because you can explain to them, all right, here is is the MOBA category. Mm -hmm. Here are generally the principles of what those games will include and what they'll look like. And then they're going to say, why is this game, why is League more popular than Dota? Why? And to be able to answer that conclusively is really difficult.
0: Yeah. Yes. So there's a challenge then, right?
2: That is that is a that's big challenge. challenge. Yes. That's a big challenge. And I think though the industry will mature because mm. you know there's, there's more money to be made and there's yes. more money to be lost and there's more at stake. And as mm. that happens, mm. you'll see more organization around federations mm. and governing bodies globally. And I think that's gonna be led by the developers who actually have the most at mm. stake.
0: And and games themselves, like y- you mentioned, the difficulty of explaining it as like what's the difference between this game and this game, even though they are in the same category, like mobile or or FPS. Within the games themselves, they actually change a lot in the span of a year. Right, just yesterday I saw the patch to uh, the game I play, Counter Strike. It changes the game fundamentally. Like the economy of the game is different now and it's going to have a major impact and, and the next major, the, the the biggest tournaments throughout the year is going to happen in a few months. And so the teams are not given, I I, I believe they're not given enough time to adjust. But when we, when we talk about Olympics, is it going to be a problem because the consistency of the games is just not there? Right? But is it something to be worried about or do you think it's just going to be another factor That's actually making esports more interesting.
2: My opinion, it's a fantastic question. Yeah. Really good. My, Mm -hmm. my opinion is that patches that alter the game and, or throw off the balance of the game, or as you mentioned, the economy Mm. of the game, right? Um, I think that those should be welcomed and I can't speak from a competitive gamer's perspective, but if you look at another sport like golf, Mm -hmm. um, the course is different every time. Okay. Uh, And the course has changed. Okay, and sometimes the putting green is running a little bit faster, which yeah. means the ball rolls off potentially, and the ball moves faster. Um, sometimes that green is in the end of the day or a certain type of week a little bit yeah. slower, a little right. bit easier to play. And then there's weather conditions, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm not saying that there should be wind and rain while we're, you know, while we have the <laughs> esports competition, but the legitimacy of esports as a sport and enhanced skill. Um, will be further solidified if people are able to play in differing environments. Now, we can't take a League of Legends player and tell him that he should go and play Overwatch and that's how we're going to judge how good he is, right? (laughs) That would be like a basketball player, you know, playing football. Um, But what we can do is recognize that as these games change and they edit and they alter and there are different circumstances to the competitive landscape, players evolve and compete at a high level. And that's what I think will help the space moved to a place where people say these guys are competing at the highest, the highest level, level of their space globally yeah. on a repetitive basis. Yes. And that's why somebody can be called, that's why Faker can be called the Michael Jordan of league. Of league. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, That's amazing. I never actually thought about golf as a parallel to yeah, esports yeah, no, it's changing. A really every, good point, that's really great actually. And, and you mentioned like having to adjust to the patches is actually proving yourself. As, as one of the players at the top of level. I mean, right?
1: any, any sport where you are changing the instrument with which they're playing with, mm-hmm. instrument being, in this case, the game, in a in, in golf's case, you know, either the golf ball or the, 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 the golf course. Right. Let's say football, when yep. they change the f- actual football s- specs, yes, remember, right. like there's yes. some balls that you could just launch. Uh, F1, the cars are always changing. So mm. there will always be that element. Right. It's just that, in this industry, in, in video games, it happens so frequently, So frequently. you know, because they're constantly trying to yes. find the balance.
0: And, and a more massive scale, to be honest, mm. because when when it comes to, let's say, F1, the, the wheels might change, but it's just maybe the dimensions, or maybe just the, 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 the size, the thickness of the wheels.
2: So you, you guys have Netflix? subscriptions yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm. so there's a new docu series that came out about f1 on oh, Netflix. that's the one
1: i just watched <laughs> I, if you watch watched it correct
2: so if you watch any kind of netflix like i do it gets it pops up and it's yeah. recommended yeah. right um i don't know the first thing about f1 racing you know i've never been to an f1 race i right. haven't been to the grand prix in singapore and i don't right. know anything about f1 but i know a lot about stories and, and what i like to yes. watch and don't like to watch and for the same reason that during the olympics in america when they have a curling competition i've never gone curling but mm-hmm. i'll watch curling and i'll listen to the storylines i'm watching that f1 docu series and that's that's culture it's
1: yep. culture absolutely. and it's absolutely. and it's
2: community and it's it's more importantly it's content right yes. and culture shapes content and that content that's being distributed is going to create a community of fans right mm-hmm. who will engage in, in a conversation um what we really believe around esports and gaming is that we have moved from cult to culture mm. and what was previously undiscussed is now discussed in grand schemes. Yes. and the, the technical aspects of the conversation we're having around games and patches
0: yeah
2: i'm not going to understand that if it continues to go further My my mom wouldn't understand it <laughs> but they would understand the storylines of professional gamers, the challenges, the difficulties. And, and that true. goes back to when we were discussing the LPL and yes. the hallmarks of what we see there and the reasons that a company like Singtel is getting involved in the national yeah. team. That's a story that everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. And the storytelling that should take place in esports that will begin to take place around a kid who is living in the Northern province in, in Thailand oh. um, or some of these kids in Vietnam who were playing with with horrible equipment from a couple <laughs> of years ago but are winning on the global yeah. stage. These are stories I want to hear about. Right, yep. that journey. Yep,
1: yep. And he, and he, mm, go. You, for can, it. you can go. Okay. Um, and God, these, you guys are so funny. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And these teams are actually the developers and the teams, like Riot, for example, do such a good job of telling these stories mm. in the videos that they produce and the content that they produce, and especially with the teams themselves, like Team Liquid or 100 Thieves, and they capture everything. And I, somehow they make it so relatable. Yeah. Like I'll look at. Uh, you know, content that uh, I see on NBA TV or something, and, and it'll seem like a world away. But mm. then I'll look at my favorite league players going through their week or doing, the, like even as simple as ordering a delivery room or you. ordering a grab. That's yeah, you it's, at you the know, exact I'm moment. Like, right? okay, cool, man. Like, you know, it feels so much more relatable, <laughs> right. even though they're still miles apart. Right. So I don't know what it is about well, look, that. I, you know, and I, I watch, I watch the NBA occasionally and and
2: I look and and physically like I, I don't, I don't, no, for those of you who are I don't have the build of an NBA player sorry to, to ruin your dreams I learned that at like age nine myself but um, there is a physical limitation yeah. and, you know to my ability to, to perform at that level um, but we all believe that we could be an amazing gamer yeah, right true um, and, and, and there's no just, physical limitation not, visually yes. there's yes. there's actual limitations to your skill set but mm. visually you feel that you fit the profile Exactly.
0: and it's not just physical gender uh, uh, culture yeah, race yeah, like yeah. everything totally. is just Put out of the way Absolutely. when it comes to esports. And that's one of the things that I think is really great about esports is that we don't have to see the differences because there are none, to be honest. Right. And so, like talking about Southeast Asia, we have so many different countries in the same region, but we are all unified under that banner of esports. Yeah. Even though there's different titles, but still, we're still that same it's tribe. A
1: global, it's a global sport. Yeah. You know, there's no denying that. Yeah. Absolutely. And so,
0: the question is what are the stories you like michael from the southeast asian region
2: i i love the story of the everyman you know i love the mm-hmm. story of um you know there's i think it's team cyan areas of cyan oh, yeah. in, uh, in malaysia they've got uh, a couple of kids who were you know playing in one of the outer provinces and mm-hmm. wanted online qualifier mm-hmm. and made their way to the team that story to me is amazing um, and and that story can be replicated yes. in every country from people who didn't necessarily have the exposure, but had the skill set. And mm. I, I really love that. Um, I also love, you know, seeing what, what happens when people are competing at the highest levels. So, you know, if, if Made in Thailand is going to a global event, I mm. want to be there. I want exactly. to see that. Exactly. Yes. I don't need to see... The, the match. I don't need to see the game. Right. And and I wouldn't necessarily be driven by that, but I want to see what takes place when these kids are getting ready. Mm. You know, when they're preparing, what are they eating? What's the nervousness that they're going through? How are they treated when they're when they're flying, right. when they're landing, uh, they're calling their girlfriends, their mom. Mm. I want to understand that journey. And then how are they received when they come back home yeah. and yeah. they've they've won a championship yes. because anybody can relate to that.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean have you watched? Uh, I mean, you know, I know you guys are into League of Legends. Have you watched the International ducky series? No, uh, I you have to watch the True Sight series, bro. Because that, uh, yeah, for Dota. So. I mean, you won't understand the games probably, but they actually take you through the grand finals. Mm. Like, they give you the behind the scenes and the journey between the games. Mm -hmm. Like, in between the breaks, you'll have these players go back and discuss what's going on great and wrong. And there, you can actually start seeing what the team is actually like Mm. in real life. And that's part of the greater uh, stories that I think is happening in esports, is that you can have uh, these teams that are so good, but you can't see much more beyond their gameplay. But when it comes to this series, they actually give you a, a, a into, peek, yeah. right, into their life. Like, what are they like? What is this guy like when it's when he's raging? What is this guy like when he's actually motivating the team? Yeah. So that's the kind of stories I like personally. and and the start with Dota is really great. And I'm really looking forward to see series by another game like League of Legends, because I wanna see for myself, whether I can still relate to that even though I don't play the yeah, game. Because yeah. that's that's what's True. important, I think.
1: No, I think you will be, I, I understand what you mean. I mean, yeah. I, same here goes when I watch like a Counter-Strike series yeah. or, you know, Overwatch. or I think definitely you, you'll still be able to relate yeah. because at the end of the day, like, we're all gamers, right? Yes. You know, and it it's just about appreciating a different kind of art, but in the same uh, field. I think Netflix, if anything, is going to be a huge player at Oof. some point. I think these guys, shout out to Netflix. I think these guys are just waiting, and I think that, I mean, if you take, I, I read something um, recently about mm-hmm. Netflix being the like largest untapped ad revenue space mm-hmm. right now in the world, you know? And if they were to switch on ads, like it's just <sighs> gonna be a crescendo of revenue. And then you compare it to like something like Twitch, mm. which gets more hits than ESPN, CNN, you know? Yep. So I, I think Netflix are gonna be interesting to watch and, and see what they what they come mm-hmm. up with. Mm-hmm. What shout do you think shout for? out for the word crescendo.
2: Thanks. Was... <laughs> <laughs> All right, hundred bucks on that. Um, <laughs> what
1: <of> the day! <laughs> look, man, I'm
2: I'm all for it. I think that anybody like Netflix, who has the kind of scale that they have and the storytelling capability that mm-hmm. can can bring these stories to the forefront and the brand, the it's brand amazing. Company. Correct, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's amazing, and I think that that will happen. You need good storytellers and filmmakers, Absolutely. and you know, to, to create that and, and have that distributed on Netflix. But I think that that's so um, Very much going to be at play, and and I think mm-hmm. if we look at sorry, we're going off esports here. I'm going into the media (laughs) landscape a little bit, but if you look at what used to be like appointment based television. So when we grew up, there was a certain event that you'd watch on TV at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And then as you know, a network like ESPN grew, you know, or Fox sports here in Asia, um, you'd get more views of that, that, event. So there was a major football event and it would be, okay, you had the game and that was 90 minutes, but then you'd see the pregame, the postgame, et cetera. And it was this concept of 360 degrees of content around a certain event, whether that is, you know, the, um, you know, Asia football cup finals, or it's an EPL match, or it's a super bowl. Um, I think that we're now moving to, instead of 360, we're moving to 365 Mm -hmm. where instead of seeing everything around that event on one day, right which we just talked about yeah. like the international takes place over two weeks in august that's yes. fantastic where do those teams go they still exist those personalities still exist i want 365 days right. of access yep. to that player and that team and that story should be told 365 days and to tie it back to the work that you were asking about earlier mm-hmm. with brands mm-hmm. brands need to recognize that yeah. right? Right. and you have to go from being occasional to being always on yep and that's the only way that you're going to be able to be real in this community exactly. and I, I do think that that will directly lead to there being fans even if people you will have bandwagon fans yeah. in esports probably much to your yeah. you know you know chagrin but i think that that's going to happen and yes. people will love fans uh love players because of the way that they look yes. or the attitude that they have
1: Wow! Well, thank you for your perspective Seriously, really the insight that you've provided in this show has been great. Well you're, you're, your 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 guest must not have been <laughs> somebody must have canceled. No, that's that's the thing. We've we've had we come out at the show was every good. week. Yeah, we yeah, come out Terrence every week and we're like, "Hey man, that was a great show." Exactly, that, right? That was an insane guest. Yes. How's next week going to top it? And yes. you know, we're always
0: delightfully pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Michael. It's really great. And maybe we just kind of to wrap this up like what are the things you're looking forward to in the next year? Obviously there's C games, but
2: you've got the Sea Games in November yeah. um, I'm looking forward to doing a ton of work in, in Bangkok and Thailand okay. uh, really excited to see what's going to happen with Team Liab in the Philippines yeah. and we're watching the drone racing space I think drone that, racing oh, yeah. th- that's Someone one of the talking about this.
0: that might be one of the future esports titles right? yeah. it's really I,
2: I don't think that esports is limited to games no, specifically no, 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 no. and I think yeah. when we look at drone racing the same characteristics are there so we're paying a lot of attention to that right. and uh, I'm, yeah, really I'm really excited I'm really excited to see how some of these movie theaters and, and facilities in and Asia Asia are gonna bring international content into their um, venues. And we're watching the arena and stadium space yeah. as well.
0: That's one, one big thing as well in eSports. So looking forward to that as well. Absolutely. So thank you, Michael, thank again, you. it's been really great. And so we're just gonna wrap this up by the last question.
1: <laughs> if you could choose one person to be on the show next after you, who would you choose? It could be anyone. It could, be, it could even be Mark Merrill if you wanted to be. <laughs> Who did, Ter- well, who, who, what did Terrence say? Did Terrence say?
0: Terrence said, uh said, I think Ivan. Okay. I think, I don't remember actually, but yeah, he's coming actually, Ivan, uh, one of the team owners from uh, Singapore. And um, so what do you think? Who's next?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I think you guys should interview Jake San Diego from Globe Telecom. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think Jake should be on here. Jake. That's Jay- a good one.
0: All right, let's look really forward to that, actually, yeah. To yeah. Guy. We're trying to get as many people from as diverse backgrounds as possible yeah, in esports and get as much perspective as we can. So yours has been great. Thank you so much, thank Michael. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you for having me. And so we're going to end it here. We're going to see you at the next one. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.